0: Morning will be First Peter chapter one verses three through five. Praise be to the God, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Inside of the announcement sheet is an outline that you can use as we go through our study this morning. We're going to be talking some more about heaven. Uh, before we do that, though, um, I, just a, a couple of things to say about things happening with our church family. Uh, yesterday morning, over at Morgan's Wonderland, there was a, a really pretty good sized group of folks from MAC that got together and did a, a walk to uh, to not only raise some money but also bring awareness to the ministry of, of NAMI. Uh, I call it a ministry because it really does uh, minister to people who are the caretakers of folks that are struggling with some mental issues and it's a very encouraging ministry that our church is a part of as well. Uh, it's kind of ramrodded by Don and Carol Hollins and We've, if, if you've been a part of the NAMI classes, you know that those things are really, really informative. They're very encouraging. They're uh, they they just they really I think they really are, are transformative in the way that you think about um, how how we we relate and love and minister to folks that, that struggle a little bit with uh, with some emotional and mental issues. And uh, I I just think it's a, it's a great thing. And I really appreciate everybody that was out there yesterday. I appreciate the Hollands for all the hard work they do. Uh, and then uh, I also want to mention uh, Jotham Richter. One of our our young men was baptized late this last week. Jotham, can where are you, are you in the back here? Can we get you to stand? Are you here, Jotham? Welcome. And if you'd like to send a, a pink encouragement card to Jotham J O T H A M Richter and just encourage him in his new walk with the Lord. Uh, that would be great and something that he would treasure for the rest of his life. And we're really thankful for all of the folks, his family, and everyone else that was involved in his decision to come to faith in Christ Jesus. And then, and then lastly, uh, we're always blessed when our missionaries come to town. And uh, David Dominguez, who has been for uh, longer than I've been associated with Mac, has been a part of the, uh, the, the mission work worldwide in Honduras, specifically, that our church is involved in. He's with us this morning, and I want to say to, uh, to David, uh, bienvenidos, and I'm really glad that you're here, and can we get you to stand? David, where are you? Can we get you to stand? And we want to sing. <laughs> David, remain standing, and we want to sing to you. David, can we have you remain standing? We want to sing to you right now. <laughs> we love you with the love of the Lord. We love you with the love of the Lord. Let's uh, let's try saying uh, welcome in Spanish. Bienvenidos. Let's say it together as a church. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. We're glad that you're here. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to jump into the text. Father, we're grateful for all the ways that you love us. We're sorry, as Edward has pointed out this morning, we're sorry, Father, when we put uh, your place in our life at the very core of what we do. We put it on a back burner because things seem to be going great and everything's under our control and that's such an illusion father we need to put you in the front of everything that we do think where all of our affections are all the time and we're grateful Father, as we've sung that christ is above us and beside us and in us because of your great love and we're thankful father that that we have a, a new brother in christ uh our, our our new brother jotham and and that uh, one of our, our 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 heroes in the faith, David Dominguez, is here from Honduras. It's it's a great morning, Father, to be reminded of the great things that you're doing in your world. And as we we turn a bit, Father, to think about the world to come, we ask that you give us the blessing of eyes at sea and ears that hear. In a way that that hope that we talked about last week that we have because of the, the fact and the truth of the resurrection, Father, that that blossom in our hearts and in our minds so that it becomes a part of the way that we think about our every day, our every instance. And this we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus and all the church said. I want you to take just a second, and I want you to think about the answer to this question, how you would respond to it. What do you think heaven will be like? What do you think heaven will be like? You know, for a lot of people, they think about what heaven will look like. They think uh, a, a lot about the, the the circumstances and and the drapery and, and the, the landscape of heaven. You know, one minute you're in Kansas, and in the next moment you're in the Emerald City. For a lot of other folks, they think about the furnishings. They think about the fact that, uh, you know, one day we're going to be angels and we're going to be playing the harp and we're going to be sitting on clouds. And they think that that's really what heaven is going to be like. And sometimes people have a little bit of a problem with that because it sounds kind of boring. Well, the good news is, is the idea of human beings becoming angels and playing harps, sitting on the clouds forever and ever, is absolutely unscriptural and non-biblical. That's not what's going to happen. So what do you think heaven is going to be like? For me, the older I get, I think about people. I think I think about my friends and my family and my loved ones and and the people that I've I've lived my my life of faith in community with for years and years and years. You know, one of the things that we say from time to time when it comes to grief is that grief is 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 not about where they are. It's about where they're not. That's grief. And when I think about grief, like all of us who have gone through grief and and, and have, have, have lost that, that daily contact with somebody that we love, we think about that separation. And when I think ab- about heaven, I think about reunion. I, you, you know, one of the things that just seems truer and truer and truer to me, I mean, just part of it has to do with the fact that as I get older, it seems that I would, I would be happier living in a cardboard box in the middle of a dump if I was surrounded by people that were loving and, and, and lovely and kind and gracious and generous and sacrificial. That that is such a better life than living in the most beautiful beach that you can imagine with people that are self-centered and egotistical and selfish and angry and violent and mean that just doesn't cut it for me part of what makes heaven heavenly the people it's the people it's it's who i will be and who you will be in god's heaven it will be who we are with in god's heaven i want to draw your attention to a to a verse in revelation chapter 21 john is writing at the end of that book He's, he's, he's writing this grand vision for the church to see at the end of time in order to encourage them through that period of persecution that they're about to go through, when they're going to be asking the questions of whether or not God knows them and understands them and sees what they're going through and the pain that they're going through and the losses that they're suffering as loved ones are going to be killed because they will not give up the faith. And at the end of that book, he paints this gigantic picture of what, the end is going to look like in order to encourage them in the present to remain faithful. And he says in verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the what? The bride. bride. Then he says, the wife, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now you know, like I do, having read the Bible a a, a few times, you know that uh, Paul will use metaphors a lot. All the gospel writers and the New Testament writers will use metaphors to help us to understand what heaven is like, what God is like, what the relationship between church and God and Christ is all about. The, the Holy Spirit being like wind. Uh, your Your salvation being like a new birth. Here, the bride is the church, meaning... You and me, the people who have faith in Christ, those that live as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. But notice, as you continue in that text, he does not show a woman, a bride, a wife. What he shows is a great city. He shows this new Jerusalem. Now, I think the images of bride and city are about beauty and community. A bride is beautiful. A city of Jerusalem, the city of God, is going to be about the community of God's people. It's going to be about beauty and community. And remember, what it is that John is trying to express and to describe are beyond description. What he's trying to do is paint a picture that's so vivid that it causes your eyes to water a little bit when you think of the beauty of it all, and it takes your breath away. And what he does in these last couple of chapters in in Revelation is to help us to understand not only what heaven and God's presence will be like, but the kind of people that we will be like as well. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the nooks and crannies of these passages, but there are a couple that really stand out. I want to share just four things that are going to happen to you through your faith when you encounter God and the judgment and enter into the resurrection. The first is you'll be fully and completely joyful. Fully and completely joyful. The day is coming in which you will be completely and fully joyful as a human being all the way down to the marrow in your bones. He says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, God, He, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain... For the old order of things has passed away. I have a little granddaughter that I just adore. Can't imagine life without her. And she tells me when she needs to be fed and when she needs to be changed and when she needs to be entertained and when she's tired and when she's happy. And they all sound just about the same. You know, one of the first jobs that you have as a parent or a grandparent is, is to dry tears, right? My daughter, uh, Jessica, who has this little granddaughter, beautiful little granddaughter by the name of, of Blair. My daughter, Jessica, has inherited all of her mother's gifts when it comes to children. You know, as Ellen laughed and played with Jessica, I, I would come home from the office sometimes uh, just kind of stressed and, you know, dealing with a lot of, of, of just the gunk. That happens when you deal with human lives. You come home and you're you're just anxious and sometimes you find yourself worried about people and you're stressed because people are not making the decisions that they need to be making in their life. They're not living within the fences that God gives us. And and you're stressed and, and I can remember getting in the car. Ellen would get in the back seat with Jessica in that car seat and she'd begin to talk to to Jessica, and Jessica would try to talk back to, to Ellen as his infant. And before you know it, just all of that stress just is, it disappears. And, and Jessica uh, has that same gift with Blair. She's able to laugh and to play with Blair. And as my wife Ellen comforted Jessica, now Jessica is comforting Blair. And that's just the way that it is with parents, right? Every parent here has wiped the tears away from their kiddo. But regardless of how much you, you, you love your kids or how much you love your friends and family, there just comes a day when a person, a human being, arrives at a certain age and discovers that there are some hurts that happen in this life that you're never, ever going to be able to take away. These, these injuries to your heart and to your soul never go away regardless of how hard you might work at it. You know, you might try to read a, a, a book or go to therapy Get real consistent in watching Dr. Phil in the afternoons. I don't know, get in a group. And you make some progress, right? You get a little bit further down the road. You get a little bit further down the path. And although that, that the memory of that, that event in your life no longer devastates your life, the pain's still there. You know, we, we hear a lot, and it's, it's such a myth, That, you know, you have to forgive and forget. You you just never forget some of these things. God, you know, gives us such a a, a tremendous memory that for many of us, we will never forgive. We'll go to our grave remembering those injuries. And although they, they don't really devastate us anymore, the pain lingers. The pain is still there. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I want you to hear one of the most extraordinary passages you will ever find in God's book. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Back in the 1940s, a fellow by the name of J.B. Phillips, English theologian, translated the New Testament. This is how he translated it into a more modern English. He says, in my opinion... Whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future that God has planned for us. That's one of the most extraordinary, that's one of the greatest claims in all of human history. And the really beautiful thing about that passage is that the guy that wrote it actually knew what it meant to suffer. He knew what it meant to be lonely and how you can go into some places in the world in that loneliness, and it just seems, or some situations or circumstances, and it just seems to exacerbate that loneliness that you never feel more lonely than you ever have before, except in that moment in that place. He knew about injustice, that life was not fair. That regardless of how well you might live your life and try to be a good person, there are going to be some 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 desperate things that happen in your life. knew about injustice, he knew what it meant to go without as as Edward mentioned, you know having more month at the end of that paycheck than than you hoped for. He knew what it meant to go without he knew what it meant to not have enough. he knew what it meant to live not just in danger but to live in mortal danger. To know what it was like when there were people that were threatening his life and trying to put him low into the dust and at times trying to beat him into the ground. That first missionary journey he went on, he goes there, he's there in Turkey, modern Turkey, he's there in Asia Minor. They are so angry with what he says that they beat him to the point that they think he's dead and then drag him out of the city. He knew what it was like to be accused falsely. He knew all about those beatings. You read the New Testament and Paul knows what it means to suffer in this life. And then he says in Romans 8 that the glory of what you will become in heaven is so overwhelming that you will immediately forget every bad thing that happened to you in this life. That you That you as a, a, a child of God will go forward in the life of the resurrection without the wounds and without those terrible memories of this life. It won't even register. It will not even register because you will have been healed as if it had never happened. And God will do it. Because God will wipe away the tears. Number two, you'll be fully and completely productive. You know, one of the great fears about heaven is that it's going to be boring. I mean, you even hear that from Christians from time to time. Say, you know, I really like my life here. This life here is kind of interesting. I've got stuff to do. You know, when you get to heaven, it seems like all you're going to do is be in church? What? Well, you know, there will be worship. But there will also be things to do in heaven. There's this, this old joke. I think I've told it to you before. There are a couple of guys, old, old guys, talking about heaven and hope that there would be baseball in heaven. How could anybody go through all of eternity and not be able to go to a baseball game? And so they made this pact with each other, and obviously this is a fictitious story. They make a pact with each other. The first one there finds out if there's baseball, somehow gets a message back to the other one. Yes, don't be afraid to go to heaven. There's going to be baseball. So sure enough, sometime later, one of these old guys dies. And true to form, he finds out there's baseball in heaven. The other guy that's still on earth is praying one day, and he hears a voice. Frank, Frank, you're right. There's going to be baseball. That's the good news. There's going to be baseball in heaven. The bad news is that you're pitching next Friday. That can be sort of good news too, right? <laughs> Think about this verse. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And they, the saints, the faithful, will reign forever and ever and ever. So, I mean, there's a part of that that really deals with the whole idea of Triumph. That those that have been so debased and so persecuted and so beat up and so degraded and run into the ground and all of, that suffered all of the violence of, of, of unbelief, there will be a sense in which all of those things are reversed and you will reign as a child of the king, a son of the king, a daughter of the king. But there's also a part of that that goes back to, to Genesis chapter, chapter 1 and 2 where creation is taking place. And so what you have here is, is sort of this idea in Genesis 1 and 2 of having dominion, and that also being cooperation with God to bring out the fruitfulness of, of the earth. And so is, is all of this, this reigning, is it about sitting around on a throne and waiting for something to happen? I think it means that we were made... To be fruitful. And in that having dominion, again, it's not about, you know, back in Genesis 1 and 2, it's not about having to wrestle, you know, into submission the earth. It's about bringing out the fruitfulness of an earth that was created good. And we were meant to bring out the richness of a fertile and good creation in heaven. Our gifts are not going to be laid to rest, but are going to be fully realized. Number three, we'll be fully and completely moral. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I just think that, that one of the really big struggles for a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is 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 that whole process of sanctification where we're learning to live and to walk and to think and to have all of our affections placed on the things that Jesus would place His affections on to, to, to become those many Jesuses in this life. And I mean, how many of us here... Have at least one bad habit that we just can't seem to get rid of. You know, it might be anger. It might be not having any filters when we speak. It, it it might have something to do with lust. It might have something to do with greed, materialism. Uh, you you know we all have somehow sowed the seeds of our own destruction into our hearts. In fact. Why don't you just do this right now? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, I have some bad habits. Say that to each other. And now, turn to the person next to you and say, and you have some bad habits as well. (laughs) Boy, you guys got really kind of animated about that one. But here's the thing, you say to the person next to you in the pew, I have some bad habits, and you say, and you have some bad habits. And you know what? It's not a lie. It's not a lie. You've told the truth. John chapter 3, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You know, one of the worst things, I think, to be in God's creation is a roach. I I don't have a love relationship with them, but my wife is at war. They are utterly, in her mind, detestable creatures. She's always saying, if the outdoors is so great, then why do the roaches want to come into my house? (laughs) She just loathes them. Once, uh, when we were newly married, and we were living on a budget of about $450 a month, so you know we weren't living in a Taj Mahal. We were in college. We were working full-time. We were grad school at the same time. We were newly married. We had the opportunity, and I won't tell you the university to protect the innocent. We had the opportunity to move into student housing at the university that we were attending. I went during the middle of the day windows open curtains up you know light everywhere opened it up newly painted everything was great i love this place i signed the lease put down the deposit grab the keys from the guy and take off and tell ellen said man I, I think i just we just moved up into the world and so she and a couple of our our best friends that night that night at night when it's dark Decided that after we had gone to dinner that night, unfortunately we had dinner first, went to the apartment. <laughs> True story. Unlocked that door, opened it up, turned on the light, said, Ellen, your new home. And there were roaches crawling all over those walls. It took us a little while to get rid of them. took me longer to even get Ellen to move in. But here they here they were just you know when as soon as the light came on they're heading for 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 cover Now humans like roaches prefer to live in the darkness because of the sin that is inside of us And I understand about hiding like you understand about hiding there are parts of me that I don't want you to know about and those processes of sanctification are excruciating slow. And I know that at the age of 55, I see even more clearly the distance that I need to go. But I'm just so encouraged by these verses. Revelation chapter 21 verse 5, He, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything what? New. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, no longer will there be any what? The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. There will be, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5, there will be no more, what? Night. There will not need; They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. God knows every inch of your life and knows all the details of why his son had to die for you. And in heaven you will become the person that you were always intended to be. And God will delight in you. You, you know, it's it's such a special thing in this life. You know, everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be liked and to have people know their name. and But there's something even greater than being liked and people knowing your name and being popular, and that is to have somebody that delights in you. As somebody that could just look at you all day long. I think that's really what a good marriage is sort of like is where a husband can look at his wife and never grow tired of looking at her all day long, and a wife that could look at her husband and never grow tired of looking at him all day long. You go into the presence of God and know that God could look at you for all of eternity and delight in you, which is one of the reasons why there's such complete and utter astonishing joy in heaven last thing is this fully and completely fulfilled fulfillment is sort of this key target these days in the world that we live in we we chase after we chase after fulfillment and we we spend most of the strength in this life that we possess in chasing fulfillment, we expend a lot of energy and a lot of resources in convincing other people that we're okay. But the bottom line is that, you know, in most, if not all, well, in fact, all of the places that we try to find that fulfillment that is not God Himself, what we find is disaster. It might be sex, it might be eating or overeating. It might be work or overworking. It can be any number of things. But being a disciple of Jesus means that you have to say no to some appetites right now. And there is hope because there is a day coming in which you will, as a, a, a creation of God, be so, satis- so thoroughly satisfied, so completely, completely, completely filled that you won't ever, 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 ever again ever think about chasing an idol. Verse 6 of Revelation 21, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty... I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I think it was Carl Barth that said that one of his words to describe salvation was the word fulfillment. The utterly complete fulfillment of our soul, the deepest being, the deepest of which is the nearness of God to us. You know what the best part of heaven is? that God is there and will never go away. You know, I know most of us who have been disciples of Jesus for a number of years know that there have been those times in which we really felt like God was really, really close. And then there have been those times and sometimes they're extended. And some of you are right there, right now. You're wondering, where in the world is God right now? Where is God in our world? Where is God... Uh, showing himself in the unfolding of the events that are happening in our world right now. Where in the world is God in my life? Why does God seem so far away? Do you know that one of the greatest things, the best thing about heaven is this, that God's presence never goes away. That you don't live in His shadow. You live in His light. Revelation 21 verse 3 Some of the most amazing words in the New Testament. The dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. You drop down to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. You know the, the most horrific thing about hell? That separation from God is not, you know, you know the, the fire or the darkness or, or the, the, the worm that never dies and all of these metaphors that are used. You know what the most horrific thing about heaven is, I mean, of, of hell is? is that hell is the place where there is absolutely zero chance that God will come for you. You know what the greatest thing about heaven is? Is that one day we will be in the eternal abiding presence of God. What will it be like to explore God? All that love. Being able to enter into all of that holiness and not be destroyed. To see His face. To hear His voice. I've been here for 15 years. And it doesn't take me 15 years. It, 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 it happened first couple of weeks. I just want you to know, I really love you. I really love you. And many of you don't, don't know me very well. But I want you to know that I, I, I love this church. And as your minister, I want to say to you, in case I don't say it enough to you personally, I want you to go to heaven to be in God's presence forever and ever and ever. I want you to know that joy. I want you to know that peace. I want your tears to be dried. I've cried those tears with you. I want you to, to have that hole in your heart that is God-shaped, to be filled with God. I want you to, to experience His holiness. I want you to experience that, that fulfillment. I want you to be able to get beyond this life now where we deal with our own morality, sometimes as, as utter failures. I want you to get p- past that guilt. I want you to be engaged God's presence for all of eternity without a fear in your heart or a tear in your eye except the tears of joy. And that's why God will let us keep our tear ducts in heaven for tears of joy. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here and... We always have an opportunity at, towards the end of our assembly for you to be able to respond somehow to or, or in some way to the things that maybe you've sung or maybe something that uh, during the communion devotional that was said that just sort of touched your heart of the sermon or one of the prayers or maybe some of the stuff that happened before you even came today and it's just kind of the convergence of life and God's presence and God's truth and God's people and you just want to do something about that well these shepherds are right down here at the front and during the singing of this next song we want you to come down and talk to these guys about the things that are on your heart and for the rest of us you know this is a great opportunity for us without thinking what the other person on next to us is thinking because that person has bad habits and you know it you can sing with sort of this reckless abandon about the greatness of God let's stand and sing oh to G